Good morning, good morning. How are you guys today? <laughs> there must have been something in the water, the coffee, the donuts this morning, all right? All right. Okay, so welcome everybody to Bible, uh, Carlsbad Bible Church. Uh, we're glad to have you here today. And uh, if you would, let's go ahead and start. We'll uh, open your Bibles up to John chapter 8, and we'll read verses 31 and 32. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. It says, So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. All right, let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Dave, you don't mind starting us today with a word of prayer? Sure. All right. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to worship together. Thank you for... Uh just the ability to be able to come and to not only sing, but to hear about uh, 1221 and what you're doing in Tanzania, and then also to hear the preaching of your word. Thank you for all that you do for us. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. I do want to take a, a moment to introduce some special guests that we have here. We're very privileged and blessed to have them join us. Um, some of you took part in the teachings yesterday by Mr. Dr. David Dietz from the Institute of Biblical Leadership. We had four courses that were given there. We have some of the handout materials that were provided, and we can make copies of those, and uh, David said we could make those available to anyone here at the church that wanted to see what was presented, and I think you'll uh, learn a lot from that. I, I know we certainly did, and we were blessed by his being here. Um, Dr. David Dietz, he's here, and he's brought his wife, Kimberly. It's our first time getting to meet her her, but we're happy to have you all here with us this morning. Um, also with us this morning are representatives of 1221 Global. We have Wade and we have Yusuf uh, joining us here this morning. Uh, some of you may know back in March I had an opportunity to go with IBL to Tanzania, and we had an opportunity to minister to their group. They ministered to us in kind, and they're here to minister to us yet again today. And Yusuf is going to be sharing the message with us this morning. And tied into that message, he'll be sharing more about his ministry, uh, his and Wade's ministry, and the group that is in Tanzania right now with the schools that they run there. And we'll learn more about that. We'll also have an opportunity to ask them questions, uh, set some time aside for a question and answer session after our potluck today. So we hope you'll stick around for the potluck and joining us in that meal and time of fellowship, but then also uh, hearing more about their, their ministry abroad. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer once more as Yusuf comes forward and shares with us. Father God, we just thank you so much um, that you are just so good to us, Lord. You are so merciful and kind, and as we contemplate the measure and the magnitude of that which you have shown us through the grace given to us by sending your son Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, to redeem us and restore us into a right relationship with you, God, that the magnitude of that would just come to bear on our hearts and that would determine the degree by which we are willing to share it and to give it to others in our life and our ministry as we live out our Christian faith in this world around us. God, it seems that things are just um, falling apart and they're so chaotic, but we know that you are not worried over it, that, Father, your sovereign plan is going about just as you have orchestrated it. Help us just to trust in that. We pray that you use Brother Yusuf this morning to speak words of encouragement and edification to us, uh, but that you also challenge and convict us as well as your word does to us, and that we would just be receptive to all that you have prepared for us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. good? Okay. Asante sana. That's all the Spanish that I know. <laughs> Say poquito español. That would be correct. Poquito. Oh, okay. I'll stop. Uh, Thank you all so much for having me here, uh, me and Wade. Um, been looking forward to be here with you all today. Uh, my heart is truly filled with gratitude to God uh, for giving us such a great, awesome day and experience here in Carlsbad. Did I say that right? Okay. No. Uh, 
and so thank you, Pastor Owen uh, and Ray, for your generosity and kindness. Uh, we feel loved. Uh, we feel appreciated. Uh, we feel very honored. We are very humbled uh, that you'd extend this opportunity for us to be here. Uh, and acknowledge Dave, a good friend and a mentor. Uh, I believe God used you to open this door, because if it wasn't for that connection, I don't believe we'd be here today. Uh, so God worked in mysterious ways. Um, so I am truly, truly thankful to God. Kimberly, I've never met you in person, but since we're here, I want to say thank you uh, for, for letting this man of God um, be a blessing to so many. Um, he, he blesses the nations, and God is using him so much. Uh, I'm a testimony of that. Uh, he's poured so much into me. He's poured so much um, into our ministry, uh, and now I work in Tanzania. Um, and so thank you. We appreciate you. The church, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, thank you for extending uh, this opportunity for us to share the gospel with you. Uh, as Pastor Owen has introduced me, my name is Yusuf Emmanuel, and I am originally from Tanzania, uh, but Dallas is home now for me. Um, I've been in this country for, it'll be 10 years in December uh, since I came uh, God has blessed me with a very beautiful bride in Katie, and we have two little boys, uh, a six-year-old and a four-year-old, and I call them the cutest sinners, because <laughs> they are. <laughs> uh, and uh, we, we are so blessed. God has given us the privilege of leading the organization that is today known as 1221 Global. Uh, that was launched five years ago, um, and I want to acknowledge Wade, uh, who is the director of operation for 1221. Eight years ago yesterday, uh, we were traveling to go to Nepal uh, with a group of people that we all didn't know each other. We just met at the airport, and on that trip, Wade was there. We were not friends. We were in Dubai <laughs> uh, traveling, and we got to Nepal, got connected, became good friends, and here we are today. The Lord has allowed us to serve together in Tanzania and the United States and now have the opportunity to lead 1221 Global. Um, thank you all again for being here. I hope that this time this morning will be a blessing to you. You will be encouraged. Um, and God will use his word uh, to challenge us uh, and spur us into good works for his glory. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you. As John says, that you are the vine and we are the branches. We acknowledge you that you are Lord of all. We acknowledge you that you are God Almighty. We acknowledge your presence this morning. And because of your presence in our midst, we know that anything is possible. As your word says, for with God, all things are possible. Through your Holy Spirit and by your grace, speak to us, Lord. Encourage us in your word. And everything that is said this morning, I pray that will be pleasing to you and bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of the message that I'm going to share this morning is that God redeems all that he allows. Uh, we live in a broken world. Uh, you don't have to be an expert to realize that. All you have to do is turn on Fox News or CNN and you realize how broken <laughs> uh, things are. Uh, there's just so much brokenness all over. Uh, you look into... Uh, our schools, you look into our lives, you look into our families, you look all over the places, there's so much evidence of brokenness. Uh, and sometimes I've had people ask this big question, if God is good, why there's so much brokenness? Why there's so much pain? Why there's so much suffering? Uh, why do bad things happen to good people. I mean, you all hear all of these questions that uh, we ask ourselves. Sometimes we have, 
we verbalize them, sometimes we don't, but we are constantly asking ourselves this question, especially when we go through a time of test, testing and trial. But what I've come uh, to realize um, through my personal experience by the grace of God is nothing happened to us by a mistake. Uh, God is sovereign. He's Lord over all. Uh, he allows these things to happen for a purpose. And we can see that summarized in Genesis 50 verse 20 through the life of Joseph, um, where Joseph is coming to the end of his life. He looks at everything that had happened to that point, and he summarizes his life by saying in Genesis 50 verse 20, looking at his brothers and say, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now be accomplished, saving many lives. The enemy intended evil. When we go through times of testing and persecution, and uh, the enemy wants to use those times of testing to harm us, to break us, but God allows all of this to happen to accomplish what is being done, which is the saving of many lives. So nothing that happens to us, that's the summary of everything that I'm going to share today, uh, nothing happens to us happens by an accident. Uh, God's there. He sees everything. He doesn't wake up and be like, oops, I have no idea how that happened. <laughs> uh, he's right there in the midst of it all, and he redeems everything that he allows to happen. Um, and so, I don't know about you, but there's so many characters in the Bible, and I wonder if you've ever encountered a character or if you've encountered a story in the Bible that you're like, that perfectly describes my life. Like, I can, I can relate with the story of Jonah, or I can relate with Paul, or I can relate with whatever character that is. Um, I don't know if you've ever had that in what well, you're just reading. It's like, I connect with this person. Well, to me, that person is Joseph. He was one of Jacob's son, context-wise. Uh, if you want to, I challenge you, if you ever get the time to just go through Genesis 37 through 50 and just read the entire story of Joseph. Um, he was one of Jacob's 12 sons. He was loved by Jacob but hated by his brothers. He was sold into Egypt, falsely accused, and ended up in prison. Out of prison, God brought him up and raised him up to be a leader, basically second in command in the entire nation of Egypt. And if you look at his life, it's basically a testament of God's sovereignty and grace for those who live faithfully and righteously. But this story also shows how God's plan may not be obvious at first because we as humans, we have limited perspective. We only see today. We don't see beyond today. But at the end, at the end of it all, we know that as Paul would write in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who are called to his purposes. God redeems all that he allows. You intended harm against me, but God was using it to bring salvation to so many. I find these verses and the story of Jacob mirror with my life. And that's what I want to share today as I was praying on how to, what should I share with you, how should I encourage you this morning to just give you a testimony of my life, um, aligning with scripture of, what the Lord has done for me, how he's redeemed everything that has happened in my life, and how he's used all of those experiences to bring glory to his name and the saving of many lives. And you use that as an example to say, yes, I may go through a time of testing. Yes, I may go through fire, but none of that is going to be wasted because at the end of the day, God is going to use all of that to bring glory to his name and salvation of many. 
I grew up, as I said, in Tanzania, in a very small town, maybe like Carlsbad, who knows? <laughs> very different, because it's a village. Um, but it was a small town, the northeastern part of the country. And as a little boy, I had big dreams. I wanted to become a pilot one day. I remember in our little village, uh, when a plane would fly over, I would chase it as far as I can. It's like, one day, I want to be on that plane. Now, fast forward, I never became a pilot, but the joke today is I get to fly a lot. Because, <laughs> I mean, I fly a lot to Tanzania and all that. So, but I never became one. But I had these big dreams. Now, my family, we were not believers. My dad, who was a very loving, kind man, though not a believer, had two wives. They couldn't have children with his first wife, and so he decided to marry my, a woman who ended up becoming my mother, and through her they had three beautiful sons. I'm the middle one. Now, context here, uh, and maybe some of you may relate to this, maybe some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but that's okay. <laughs> In Tanzania, we have tribes. Do you all have tribes here? Because I hear everyone is just Texan. I was like, I'll ask people, what's your tribe? They're like, Texas. I'm like, what? Uh, <laughs> Uh, but we have tribes in Tanzania, and each tribe is different. There are things that they hold dear, some, some things are common across different tribes, and some things are not. So in my tribe, we are the Kuria tribe. And for us, status, or someone to be perceived as important, or, uh, or strong, or a person of influence, had nothing to do with how much money they had had nothing to do with how much education they have, had all to do with how many wives do you have. Like an example I normally give is uh, my uncle uh, was our village chairman, and the reason he became one is because he had 15 wives. When we go to do elections and elect our political leaders in our tribe, we don't go and like, okay, who has more money, who has more education, who has more influence, it's just... Who has many wives? <laughs> and that's the person we ended up electing. <laughs> well, the opposite, I don't know where that wisdom came from, uh, but someone out there, if you ask them, they'll be like, yeah, if someone can manage more than one wife, for sure they can take care of all of our problems. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but... <laughs> well, the opposite of that is true, too. If you only have one wife, you are perceived as weak. And that's where my dad comes in the picture. He was only married to one woman. And so his peers, uh, his friends, would look at him like, man, you have so much money, but you are a weak man. You, you are nothing. Uh, you look at you. Um, and so for whatever reason, it didn't bother him because he just kept going on with his life until another problem arose is they couldn't have children. Well, that's a big problem in my tribe because if you don't have children, the perception is you are cursed. And by the way, it's not always the man's problem. In my tribe, they look at that, this woman that you've married is the problem. That's the curse. You have all this money, you have all this wealth. Who's going to carry your name? And so with the pressure of the community and the culture and his brothers, he decided to go and find another woman who ended up being my mom. Um, and at first, things were all great because now there's kids in the house. And all of these two ladies and a husband, we all lived under the same roof. And life was okay. My dad was wealthy, was able to take us to a nice school and get education and Everything was just, I felt at that point, all the dreams that I had of becoming a pilot were going to be accomplished because I was going to a place where I was getting good education. I was doing extremely well compared to all the other people in my little poor village who 
who had nothing compared to what we had. Until when I turned 10, when things started changing. Now, the school that we had been taken to go to was a boarding school. Uh, we would leave in January to go to school and never come back till December. Um, and so we had two weeks window, Christmas window, that would come back home, and that's when we got to be at home. Now, my dad, since he's a business person, he would travel back and forth. Uh, as he goes and buys supplies and all that, he would come back to the school and see us. So we would see him probably two or three times throughout the year. But my mom, we wouldn't. The only window we had was the two weeks in Christmas time. So at this time, we came back as kids. We are looking forward. Where's mama? We want to see mama. And she was not there. And no one would tell us what had happened. Later on, we came to find out that that summer, uh, an evangelist had come to our town to preach the gospel, and my mom was one of the people that got saved. And she joined a local church to be a member and started studying this book and started growing in her faith. And even as a babe Christian, she learned early on that she was living a sinful life by continuing to be married to my dad as the second wife while they are all living under the same roof. And so as a believer, she came to the decision that it was time for her to leave. Well, back to the, my tribe. More wives means what? <laughs> Influence and respect and all that. Few wives means oh, you are an okay it's even extremely worse now if your wife leaves you. So that incident changed my dad from being this loving, kind person that wants the best for his family to someone that we could not recognize at all. Now remember when all of this was happening, none of us were believers except my mom at this point. So she moved seven hours away into a city called Mwanza, and that became her home. But as kids, we didn't know anything. We just knew my mom had left, and we had very limited knowledge of what was going on. My dad started using his influence to threaten my mama and trying to get her to come back home. Uh, and she remained firm in her faith. I'm not coming back, no matter what. And he came to a conclusion that the best way to get to her is through children. And so the first thing that he did was to remove us from the school and brought us to the village school. That was crushing for me. Even as a 10-year-old, I knew the dreams of becoming a pilot were all gone. I'm never going to realize those. I went from this school that I was getting good education to a school in our village which had probably at that time 3,000 students with two, three teachers. So we were really not going to school. We were just whatever you want to call that. <laughs> and so I was crushed because I knew everything was done for me at age 10. Well, that didn't bring my mama back. So my dad decided to take it to the far extreme and decide that we are no longer worthy to be called his sons. And he kicked us out of the house. And so went from having everything provided for us to living as street children in our town. And you know what was worst for us? is knowing that we were not the only kids in the street. I mean, street life in my town, there those many other kids there. So it wasn't something unique, like, wow, look at what had happened to us. Uh, there was others, but they are there because they are orphans. They are there because the level of poverty is so extreme that living in the street is better than living somewhere else. 
all, there is uh, abuse of extreme proportions uh, that street life was much better than the home experience. And there we were knowing that our house is just across <laughs> there. There's everything in my quote-unquote father's house. But here we were living with nothing. And that led us to stealing became my way of survival. I started using drugs. I started doing all the things that a 10, 11-year-old shouldn't be doing. And in the midst of all that, I developed this level of hatred towards my mom. Because in my mind at that point, she was the reason why all of these things had happened to us. Now, there's hunger in street. Uh, we, there are days where we didn't have anything to eat. But I knew at our house there's plenty of food. So I would sneak in and when they out, I would sneak in and steal food. And, and I did that many times. And I knew, and my dad knew that that's what I was doing until one day when I came back home, walked in, and I had the door closed behind me. And there was my dad. He came, caught me, removed all the clothes that I was wearing, um, and he tied my hands and my legs. It's like you're skinning a deer. For those who have got done deer hunting, you put the deer on a tree uh, to skin it. And so that's how I was tied. And he took his belt and all the other canes, whatever that he had, and he started beating me up as if you had seen a rattlesnake or something. And he, I cried until I couldn't cry anymore. I was covered with blood. Um, when my boys and I go swimming, uh, they'll look at me and I have these marks and they'll ask me, Baba, that's what they call me, Baba in Swahili for daddy. Like, what is that? What happened? Whoa. Did you fall? Did, uh, and those are some of the hardest conversations for me to have with my little boys, trying to explain to them what their Baba had gone through. Uh, and these marks are there uh, to remind me, back to our message, God redeems all that he allows. Uh, and so at that moment when he finished beating me and did everything that he could, I couldn't cry anymore. He comes and unties me and says, leave my house. If I ever see you, I will kill you. And I left covered with blood with one goal in mind to end it all that day. I say this life, I don't deserve it anymore. This world is not a place for me. Clearly, my daddy doesn't want me. Clearly, my mom doesn't want me. So I decided to end it that day. I went uh, under this bridge, famous bridge in our village, where all the street kids would spend the night, because uh, there was nowhere else for us to spend the night. I had all the things that I needed to end it all that day, and I was sitting there ready to consume all that when I had, it felt like someone was behind me and said, give me one more day. It was just this voice, weird voice, it felt like someone was just sitting right next to me, and I turned around thinking there was someone there talking to me, and there wasn't. Again, remember, I wasn't a believer, so the first thing that came into mind is not God is talking to me. I mean, I couldn't relate with any of that. The first thing that came into mind, man, I really did get a big beating that now I'm hearing voices. That's the first thing that came into my mind. But this voice kept persisting, give me one more day. And I started thinking, what is this? What does one more day mean? Is this 24 hours? Is this 20, 12 hours? What? As I'm processing that, remember, and at that point I was, this was in January 2002, so I was 13 at that point. So I'm thinking as a 13-year-old, like, what does this mean? And a thought that had never crossed my mind before came into mind. Why don't you travel to Mwanza and see if you can find your mother? 
and get an explanation of why she left. All this time you've had a one-sided story, but you've never engaged her to know what's the reason. I had never been to Mwanza before. And as a 13-year-old, I was like, okay, I think I can do that. And at the end of these 12 hours or 24 hours, one more day, whatever this is, if I don't find her, nothing changes. The mission still continues. I'll end it then. So I entertained this idea. Then that early morning, I got on a bus, and seven hours later, I arrived in Mwanza. Now, again, remember, in our little village, who is the village chairman? My uncle. <laughs> Everyone knows our family. So until today, if you go to Mugumu, which is the name of our town, and just ask them who is, who is the... They'll, they'll bring you to our house. They know who we are. So going to Mwanza to me, I was like, yeah, it's going to be easy. I'll get there. The very first person I ask about my mom, they'll know who she is. Of course, she's famous there like my family is. Until I arrived to Mwanza that day, a city of two million people, and realized very quickly two things. One, my mom is not famous. <laughs> and two, no one wants to talk to this 13-year-old kid covered with blood. So I was frustrated. I was angry. But I was also hopeful, just the wrong kind of hope, that at the end of the day today, if I don't connect with my mama, I'm still going to end it all. I got lost in this big city. I had not eaten. I was hungry and all that. And I can take you to where I was standing, this spot in Mwanza, the market where I was standing, when I had someone call my name. Yusuf, Yusuf. And I turn around and it's this guy from our village, of course. <laughs> this guy from our village, he looks at me. He has a store there at this market. He's like, what are you doing here? So I explained to him what had happened, and with tears flowing his eyes, he tells me, I know where your mom lives, and I'm going to take you there today. Coincidence? I don't know. Because, again, at that point, I wasn't a believer, remember? <laughs> so... My life, by God's grace, was spared that day. And I'm going to check the time. My life that day was spared by God's grace. And that evening, I was reunited with this lady that I hated so much at that point. When she saw me, she came and ran and tried to hug me, but I had zero emotions to give back. She wanted to be there, but I wasn't willing to open up. She was just crying and helpless, but I didn't know how to connect with her. But by God's grace, that evening my life was spared because that plan A was not there anymore. And I started living with, basically learning to live with this person that I did not like at that point, and several things started becoming very clear because she didn't have anything like what my dad had. I mean, we leave, she had this shack that we live when it rained. <laughs> I mean, it was like you can just sleep outside. <laughs> there was nothing. Uh, we slept on the floor. We didn't have, there were a number of nights where we didn't have any food to eat or all that. But there was something different about her. Just, your Dave, oh, when you met my mom, uh, just a smile. <laughs> the endless smile that she had, just this sense of peace that she had. But there was something else. She was just committed to this thing called faith, Christianity, that she would spend time in prayer, she would practice her faith, she, would, she was just different. I remember one thing that really caught my attention was we had gone two days without eating anything, and she had this practice where she would come and sit to the table. And so we'd get excited. Oh, we finally have something to eat. And no, she's like, it's faith. You know, I'm believing one day God's going to provide for us. And like, really? And this was another day like that. Set the table. It's like, oh, there's food. No, but 
Let's come and pray. I believe one day God is going to provide for us. And she says this prayer. And at the end of the prayer, kidding you not, someone knocked on our door. And it's this lady with a basket filled with food that we don't even know. She was like, hey, I was in prayer and I felt the Lord asking me to bring food to this house. Huh? I was like, like, are you playing tricks with me here just to get my attention? <laughs> but that was the first time that it caught my attention. I was like, what is this? What is going on here? What is this faith? And I slowly started opening up and shared with her the journey that I had experienced. And of course, she's just crying. She doesn't know how to minister to me. She doesn't know how to serve me at that point. Of course, as a mother, she's going through the pain of what her decision caused to her children. And she asked me, would you be willing to meet with my pastor? I was like, sure, I can try that. Because Pastor Paul had also gone through the path. His testimony, his life uh, had involved drugs and all that. So there was at least somewhere we can connect. And he graciously took me in and started sharing the gospel with me, started sharing this book with me, trying to understand and fill the gaps and all that. And by God's grace, June 30th, 2002, it was a Sunday, um, I surrendered my life to Jesus. And then the hard part came. It's like, okay, now that I'm growing in my faith, I understand why my mom left. Maybe I don't fully understand, but at least I can understand. And if there's anything to forgive, okay, I can see how I can forgive her. But what about my dad? Right, on top of that, these Christians keep calling God Father. I couldn't connect with that. I couldn't relate with that because the only thing that I had in mind of God being Father was my cruel dad, and so I was like, I, that I can't comprehend. Him I cannot forgive. At least I thought, or at least I decided at that point. But I was a believer. I knew my sins were forgiven. I knew I have the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. And at that time, it became so clear that God was calling me into ministry even though I didn't know what all that meant. In that season of my life was, I am going to tell every single person I know what the Lord has done for me. And I annoyed a lot of people because I was the kid that could not be quiet. If we say two words in, this is who I were, this is what the Lord has done for me, until today they call me Pastor Yusuf, <laughs> and it all started there. Because I just kept sharing and sharing. And God gave me this deep desire of just telling the lost about him. And particularly in my country, Muslims who were not at a greater capacity were not being reached. Uh, it was easy to go and reach other people from different tribes because, I mean, they're not going to kill you. They're not going to arrest you. They're not going to do anything. But very little was being done to reach Muslims. And there was just this deep, burning desire in me. That's the place I want to go. That's the... And I didn't know much about the Quran. I didn't know much. I mean, I was still a new believer just learning about this book, but at the same time, just telling anyone, anywhere about Jesus. And I kept doing that from age 14 when I was saved till age 18. Four years of just sharing, of course, in the process, learning scripture. And I felt at age 18, I was ready. And so I led my first small team from our church to go to the western part of the country, which is 99% Muslims, to go and tell them about Jesus. And so we just would go heart to heart and share the gospel and share the gospel and share the gospel. And the climate condition of Tanzania back then, we had a Muslim who was a president. And they would restrict sharing the gospel in areas especially that were highly Islamic. 
So we find ourselves in this western part of the country, in an Islamic town, and they would come and say, you are not allowed to preach the gospel here. You cannot preach the gospel here. You cannot do this thing that you are doing, or we are going to arrest you. You all see where this is going? I ended up in prison. Uh, the local mayor of the town came, arrested, and threw me in prison. Now, <laughs> in Tanzania, you know, you are so blessed here in the United States. At least you can present your case somewhere in Tanzania. <laughs> uh, the local leader has the final authority. I mean, they, they, are, they are the arrest officers and they are the judge. <laughs> I mean, they, decide the, they have already decided your fate even before uh, you say anything. And they threw me in this prison that it's like the Guantanamo. Of Tanz I mean, it's the Guantanamo of Tanzania, where they put the worst of the worst. That's where you are thrown in. And you know the day you walk in. You don't know the day you walk out because it's dependent on the mercy of the person that threw you in. And so our, my fate at that point was, I'm going to be in this prison forever. And I remember the day that I walked in there being so angry at God. And I kid you not, these were the words that I said. I was like, God, you are very stupid. I think I was the one that was stupid, but you get the point. <laughs> I was just angry. And the thoughts that were going on in my mind were, God, clearly you have called me. You went through all these to just save me. You rescued me from all that and you've saved me. You've given me this burning desire to tell people about you, and I'm here doing that. Why would you think it's wise for me to be thrown into this prison? The time that I'm wasting in this prison is the time that I could be out there sharing. And I was just miserable and angry and crying, and clearly none of that was getting me anywhere because time was passing. Until one day, we serve a very gracious and kind God when... In my misery, the Holy Spirit started ministering to me. Like, Yusuf, I brought you into this prison so I can set you free. I was like, what do you mean set me free? He's like, what are you doing? You are preaching. You are telling people about me. You are preaching that in Christ there is forgiveness. Yet you are in this prison. You've never forgiven your daddy for what he did for you. And I've brought you in here so I can have your attention <laughs> and set you free. I was like, God, ask me something else. I cannot do that. I don't have the courage. I don't have the boldness. I don't, I, there's nothing in me to be able to do something like that. But with your help, I believe I can. And I remember getting on my knees and praying, and it was like this weight was removed away from me. And I remember telling God, if I ever come out of this prison, my dad will be the first person that I go. I felt free than I've never been, even though I was still in the Guantanamo of Tanzania, but there was just this freedom in me. And then the Lord said, now serve to these people, because I died for them too. But, but God, they won't listen to me. I'm just an 18-year-old. These people have like killed someone or did this, and I'm just in here because I was preaching. They're not going to listen to me. <laughs> it's like, I am with you. So started sharing and sharing and sharing. And <laughs> Isaiah 55, um, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And his word will accomplish that which he has purposed it to. His word was being shared. One person prayed to accept Christ. Then it was two, three. Three months later, there was more than 30 people that had been saved in this prison. A church was birthed. The mayor had the news, like, well, that kid that you threw in prison, now the prison is turning into be a church. You'd think that's great news, right? Because people are being saved. They're like, no, no, we do not want the gospel in there. Kick him out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I ended up being set free 
from that prison. And God used that time again, what is being done, saving many lives, because those people that were being saved in that prison, they ended up being released. They ended up being going and sharing the gospel in this Islamic town that today more than 75% of this town are believers. Completely changed. I left that prison, reunited. I went and started reaching out to my dad. At first it was hard, but the Lord opened the door for us to start engaging in conversation. By God's grace, in August of 2011, I had the opportunity to lead my dad to Christ. And see this man that I hated become my best friend. Two years ago, my dad went to be with the Lord. And I was at his funeral. And I was very hopeful knowing that one day he and I will be together in heaven worshiping the Lord. Because the enemy intended harm, but God used it for good to bring salvation to many. I don't know what it is that uh, you have gone through, you've experienced. I don't know what times of trial and testings you've gone through or you have gone through, all may come, but I want you to know that our God is sovereign, our God is good, and though the enemy may look that he's won, just think of how smiling the enemy was when Jesus was on the cross. <laughs> he was like, I've got you. <laughs> There's nothing else. But God used that moment to bring salvation to many. The cross was the worst thing that could have happened to anyone at that time, yet it became the best thing for all of us all. God will use the season of testing in your life to bring glory to his name, to bring salvation to his name. And so, how does to often one come into all that? Now, remember... <laughs> I was the middle child, those three of us. Joshua, me, and Boaz. When the opportunity for education and all that was taken away from us and we started living with my mom, I decided, or Joshua and I decided, like, hey, we are going to do everything possible, at least our youngest one, to have an opportunity to go to school. So that meant we would do any job well, little kids would run here and there and work 13, 14 hours a day and get paid a dollar or a dollar fifty. Uh, and that's what we'll bring home, give mama half food and save a little bit and be able to send Boaz to school. And so he went and graduated his primary school and then secondary school, high school, all the way to the university. Six years ago, uh, we, seven years ago, we went to Tanzania. Um, he, one here called me, was like, hey, brother, I'm about to graduate, and I was the best in the class, and the bank, uh, this huge bank in Tanzania, um, reached out to him and just offered him a job right away. Hey, you are coming to be a manager of a branch uh, in Mwanza. Uh, I mean, so he signed this big contract. I mean, it felt like everything was just great. And it's like, hey, by the way, I'm also, I found a lady I like and you want to come and meet him. And so went through all of that and uh, we went in Tanzania for his wedding. I mean, it felt for our family like, man, Lord, you are so good. We went through all this season of testing and trials and temptation. It just felt good that to see him just starting his life and attended the wedding. It was a good celebration. And then he looked at me and was like, hey, all these times we've been coming, we've been doing ministry, but I've been so focused on school. 
but now since I'm done with school and I'm the boss, <laughs> uh, I can take time off and go and join you on a mission trip. I was like, awesome, we'll do that. This was June, and I had a trip planned to Tanzania for August. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'll see you in August. So finished that trip and the wedding, and we came back home and started planning for August trip. Um, two weeks before we left to go to Tanzania in August, uh, I get a call from him. Hey, I'm not feeling well. Just pray for me. And so I started praying and like, you'll be fine. And well, a week later, Joshua, my brother, calls me. He's like, hey, Boaz is not doing well. He's in the hospital. So I call him that morning while he's in the hospital. Like, hey, what's happening? He's like, I'm just having a hard time breathing, but it's not a big deal. I'll, I'll be fine. By the way, remember, I'm seeing you in a week so we can go on a mission trip. I was like, no, stop worrying about the mission trip. Worry about you are newlywed. You just got married. Worry about your family and getting better. These trips will always be there. Little did I know that was the last time I was ever going to speak to my brother. Because two hours later, Joshua calls me. He's like, Yusuf, Boaz has passed. I was like, what is this? What happened? I was like, well, he was having a hard time breathing and he's in the second largest hospital in Tanzania. He needed an oxygen machine to help him breathe, but they only had two and those two were being used by other patients and they couldn't give him any, so they just left him there to pass. Three days later, I was in Tanzania speaking and preaching at my brother's funeral. And so many people came to know the Lord that day. And I kept thinking, God, why? When are we going to get a break from all of this? And that's when the Lord spoke to me and said, you are ready now. Like, ready for what? <laughs> now you can go and do that which I have prepared you for. And immediately I knew, that's another long story in itself, but I knew that the Lord was calling us into this season of ministry to start this ministry that I uh, was going to engage, um, going to do three main things, which is what the Lord had allowed us to experience at that point. Um, provide education to the most vulnerable children, because that was taken away from me. And the Lord clearly said, hey, I am the one who allowed you not to have that experience so you can know at a personal level what it feels like to be denied education, not to have that opportunity to go to school. Provide health care to those that you serve. Why? I am the one that took away your brother so that you can know at a personal level what it feels to not have good health care and understand at a personal level the cries of so many people in Tanzania that cry daily to me for help. And share the gospel with them. I am the one who has allowed you to be in prison more than five times for the sake of the gospel so you can understand at a personal level what it feels like to suffer for the sake of Christ. And so that's how Twelve Twenty One was birthed. Um, we get our name from Matthew twelve twenty one that says, through the name of Jesus, nations will find their hope. Um, and God has given us a specific calling, a specific mission uh, to engage, equip, and empower the most vulnerable in Tanzania so that they can discover the love that God has for them um, and be able to fulfill God's purpose for their lives and community. All of this was birthed through pain and suffering and heartache but God redeemed each one of those so that he can use each of those moments to bring salvation to so many. Let's watch this video uh, that gives a summary of 1221, and then I'll close with a challenge for you. What does this mean for you as you leave? And then we can have a time of Q&A later uh, and talk about all the other things 1221. So let's watch. Thank you. of a village in Tanzania. Pathway 
worn hard by a million steps of barefoot children at play, or by mothers collecting firewood and fetching water for the family. Pathways that appear to meander without purpose but lead to places, places unimportant and unknown to most, but not to God. A left turn, then another left, down the valley, up the hill, yes, at that mud hut. Mama Amina is surprised and delighted by your visit. Caribou, come in. Sit with me. Talk with me. Pray for me. 1221 Global shows the love of Christ in communities where witchcraft, disease, and lack of education breed intense poverty and hopelessness. Serving alongside local leaders, we address these pressing needs by planning local churches, educating children, and providing basic health care. These three paths point to one great goal, bringing the hope of Jesus to every community. This hope casts out spiritual darkness and leads to lasting community transformation. We believe we are the generation that can see the Great Commission fulfilled. We believe in the urgency of bringing hope to all people by sharing the love of Christ. This is a cause worth living for. It's a cause worth dying for. It's a cause for which we are still here on this planet. Will you walk with us? Will you partner with us? Will you pray with us? Man, that's a summary of what we do as a ministry um, in Tanzania and what the Lord has called us to accomplish over there in Tanzania. Uh, by God's grace, we have two schools now with 324 students uh, actively engaging two remote, dark, oppressed communities, uh, seeing churches planted there, people coming to know Jesus, um, and we have an opportunity to provide education and allow these kids who've been abandoned or left to be sacrificed by witch doctors uh, find hope in Christ. Um, uh, but what does this mean for you? You know, the fact that I'm standing here and sharing this message is a testament of God's goodness and kindness. I see it as a miracle. Knowing everything that I have gone through, it's a miracle that I am standing here. I know God appointed this time that you would sit here and by God's grace hear this message. And so I have two challenges for you. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord. But based on all the places that I have been, and I don't think this place is going to be unique, is that many churches today are filled with people who speak like Christians, sing like Christians, and pray like Christians, but they have never encountered Jesus. The gospel is true. Heaven is real, and hell is real too. So I pray that you encounter Jesus in a personal way. The Lord has pursued me, and I know it was long before June 30th, 2002, that's the day that I can remember surrendering my life to Christ. But the Lord is pursuing you too. If you've not encountered Jesus, if you've not given your life to Christ, this is the day. Don't let it pass. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Because of our sin, we are destined to be separated with God forever in a place called hell that is real. 
but God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were still sinners, while we were unlovable, while we did not have a relationship with Christ, Christ died for us. And he extends that love to you today. He's not sitting in heaven and saying, wait until you get it all right. <laughs> wait until it all becomes perfect. He's like, I love you the way you are. I died for you <laughs> while you are still in your sin. Paul writes and says, it's by grace we have been saved. Not by our works that anyone should boast. <laughs> He's extended this free gift of salvation to us so that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, that He's the only way for us to be reconciled with God. If we put our full trust in Him, there is salvation to us. We will be saved. We cannot give that which we do not have. <laughs> we can't. They're like, man, I, I, I want to go and tell people about you. You cannot give that which is not in there. So I pray that you encounter Jesus in a personal way that you choose today to make the Lord Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. But if you are in here and you've already done that and you are a believer, my challenge for you is to embrace God's global mission. John 3.16, for God so loved what? <laughs> I didn't say Carlsbad only. <laughs> <laughs> or only, oh, we are saved, so we are fine. We don't care about anyone else that's out there. I mean, Revelation 7 gives us a glimpse of what the end is going to be. John writes and says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne, of the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God. God is already giving us a glimpse of what the end is going to look like. People from all tribes and nations and tongues are going to be there. His mission is so clear. So embrace it, because He wants to use you, despite of your past. Despite of your experiences, despite what the world is telling you, I hear that a lot. You are not good enough. You are uneducated. You have gone through this, you have gone through that. You are not deserving this, you are not deserving that. But if the creator of this universe has chosen to use an abandoned Tanzania, he can use you if you let him, if you're willing, if you embrace his mission. Matthew 28, Jesus says, I have been given he is Lord of all, heaven and earth. And because of that, he is commissioning you and I and say, go therefore and make disciples of all the world. I mean, that's written in your Bible. It's a commission for you and me. It may not necessarily mean get on a plane and go to Tanzania, but it could mean get out of your comfort zone and go to your neighbor who doesn't look like you, who doesn't speak like you, who doesn't dress like you, who doesn't have the same political beliefs as you. But you have been entrusted 
The question is, will you embrace it? The enemy will tell you you're not worthy. You don't know this. You're not equipped enough. You're not all that. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He said, by the way, as you are going and making disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded with you, hey, I am with you. <laughs> I am right there with you to empower you and equip, and equip you. The measure of the importance of Christ in one's life is manifested in the measure to which you'll go to make him known to others. How is Christ important to you? Let me end by saying, when we follow Jesus, the worst thing that can happen to you, the worst thing that can happen to us in this world is actually the best thing. Because God will redeem all that he allows. And God will use your experience to bring salvation to many. Would you let him use you? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day and thank you for this moment. Father, I pray that the words that have been spoken and the meditation of our hearts will be pleasing to you this morning. And Father, I pray for each one of us as a recipient of your grace that we will do whatever you call us to do no matter the cost so that people can find their hope in you. If there's anyone in this room that don't have a relationship with you, Father, I pray that by your grace and mercy and favor that you will draw them to yourself. Call them to you. Open the eyes of their hearts so that they can see you. Draw us close to you, Lord. Thank you for this church. You have intentionally placed it in this place for such a time as this, Lord. I pray that you'll equip them and empower them. I pray that you'll give them the boldness to share your word with truth, with no fear or hesitation. I pray that they'll embrace your mission. That, God, you desire to see no one perish but everyone come to repentance. Lord, thank you for their church. Thank you for their leadership. Lord, strengthen their knees because you are right here with them. Holy Spirit, move through this town so that people may come to know you. Let people see your work in this community, in this church. that they will know that the people in this room have been with Jesus. They are different because of how they love and care and their passion to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.